0: This is God's word, His word and our authority in faith and in life. Let us give our attention to its reading. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. There's a show on reality television where the bosses of big corporations disguise themselves and go and work amongst the employees kind of at the bottom of the ladder of their company. The thought of doing this show is to Have the employees continue to work and act unknowingly that the owner of this company is standing right beside them. And all of this leads to a big moment where the employees find out what's really been going on. The the owner of this enormous corporation has been standing next to you this whole time. And people can be stunned or embarrassed when they find this out, especially if they've been doing things that they would not have done around their boss. Everything changes when they find out who it is that is standing next to them. The Apostle Peter had a moment like this in today's passage before us today. He realizes in a moment that Jesus is much more than Peter thought he was. This produces a moment that is not embarrassing so much as it is beautiful. And it teaches us three things. It teaches us about the grace of our Savior, the call of discipleship, and the mission of witness in our world. These are not things just that the apostles learn, but we learn them as well. We learn about the grace of our Savior, the call of discipleship, and the mission of witness in our world. Let us walk through this text together then. We see in verses 1 through 7, Jesus provides an abundance of blessing. An abundance of blessing. In last week's passage, Jesus was teaching and performing miracles in Capernaum. This week, he is in Gennesaret, the plain of Gennesaret, which would have been just south of Capernaum and still on the Sea of Galilee. And thus the lake of Gennesaret in this passage is actually the Sea of Galilee just in that region. So it's the Sea of Galilee. Jesus' teaching ministry has continued to gain notoriety and he himself as a person has continued to increase in popularity. Large crowds are following him and wanting to hear what he has to say. There's an interesting declaration in verse 1 of this passage. Luke says that the words of Jesus, the words which he p- proclaims, amount to the word of God. This phrase would have been understood to apply to the Old Testament scriptures, that which God had given to the the people of Israel. But here Luke applies it to the words of Jesus, showing that not only what the people were believing, but what The early church community thought when Luke wrote this gospel is that what Jesus was saying was a new word from the covenant God of Israel. It was equivalent to the words of God. Put that on top of Jesus' healing power, it makes perfect sense why there would be large crowds following him. And here we see in the first couple of verses the crowds are pressing in. Not sure if you've ever had this experience or seen footage perhaps on TV or something of an experience like this. When there's a a big event, a big concert or something like that and people are standing up, uh, it can often be the people who are in the front who have the worst place to stand in the house because the crowd presses in against them and they're being pressed further and further uh, into a barrier separating them from the stage. And that is kind of like what is happening here. Without amplification in those days, people probably were straining to hear Jesus, and so as the crowd gets larger and larger, the space that the crowd occupies is getting smaller and smaller. People are pressing in to hear Jesus, and so he needs to figure out a place where he can speak to people, where people won't be pressing in so violently. And so he spots nearby boats, fishing boats, and he sees two of them. And the fishermen are washing their nets. The washing of the nets would have been uh, a morning chore after a night of fishing. Fishermen would use nets at night because the fish could not see them at, at night. During the day they would be useless because the fish would be able to see them. And so Jesus spots these fishermen during their final cleanup after a tough night's work. We find out later that they've caught nothing. And he asks the captain, who is Simon Peter, to allow him to use this boat, and to push the boat out into the water so Jesus can be in the water and talk to everyone at the same time and people won't be pressing in so much to, to get near him and to see him. Remember in last week's passage, Jesus healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law of a high fever, and so Peter and Jesus know each other. We have not been formally introduced to Peter as a disciple, but we will see that he becomes just that in this passage. That is why this passage teaches us about what it means to follow Jesus as his disciples. After Jesus is done teaching, he says something to Peter that seems silly. "'Put out into deep water and let down the nets from, for a catch.'" see that in verse 4. Fishermen usually have their their own strategies that they like to employ. Uh, You never like to tell a fisherman what he should do or, or what he should try. And it seems that Peter is not very impressed with the strategy of Jesus here. One of the reasons is what we just mentioned. Jesus says to let down the nets, but now it's in broad daylight. The fish are going to be able to see the nets and it's going to be useless. Note then what Peter says in verse 5 Master we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything but because you say so I will let down the nets A couple clues that show us that Peter is not really regarding Jesus fishing advice as something to be listened to and he's the first is that we see he calls him master this is a title of respect but we will see later on in the passage That Peter calls Jesus something else. And so this title master will be contrasted with what Peter calls Jesus later on in the passage. Peter is begrudgingly obeying Jesus. He reminds him, Jesus, we've worked all night and we haven't caught anything. But this is the man who just healed Peter's mother-in-law. So it seems like he is obeying Jesus but without faith. He puts up a tiny rhetorical protest. It's as if Peter is saying, I'm letting you know that this will not work, but you have done so much for me, so you've earned this much obedience from me. So I will do what you tell me to do. Of course, we know how the story goes from here. Peter and his business partners, James and John, do as Jesus says, and they catch the most fish they've probably ever caught in their lives. The nets begin to tear and the boats begin to sink. Jesus brings an abundance of blessing and he does it even in the midst of Peter's doubting. Even in the midst of Peter's begrudging obedience. Many people will say that the blessings of God are dependent upon the firmness or the surety of our faith. If we believe more, if we have more faith, only then can God bring blessing. We're reminded here that a sovereign Lord and his purposes will not be thwarted. He brings an abundance of blessing even in the midst of Peter's doubt. And it reminds us that the greatest blessing that we receive, our salvation, our eternal life, come exactly when we are, as the Apostle Paul puts it, spiritually dead. There's nothing in us that deserves God extending his mercy and his grace to us. This does not mean that God would excuse our faithlessness in this world. And it doesn't mean that when we doubt, we should always expect great blessings to fall upon us. But we're reminded that Jesus is a sovereign Lord. And that is exactly what we find out in verses 8 through 10. Because Peter not only regards him as master, but now will regard him as Lord. In the shadow of Peter's doubt and his skepticism about Jesus' advice for fishing, he is immediately undone. He has called Jesus master, but in verse 8 he calls him Lord. Peter falls down before him to worship him. And this passage, this verse, has uh, echoes of other places in Scripture. It especially reminds us of places like Isaiah 6 where the prophet Isaiah realizes that he is in the presence of Almighty God and he immediately says, woe is me, I am undone for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. There is a direct tie between the prophet realizing his sin and feeling unworthy in the presence of the divine majesty. And this is where we find Peter in our passage this morning. The sign of Jesus' power with the miracle of the fish has shown him that Jesus is not just a great teacher, not just an insightful rabbi, but he is Lord and he is worthy to be praised and he is deserving of worship. He can command all things in the the world simply by speaking a word. Peter, along with Isaiah, desires separation from the holiness of God. Get away from me, Lord. The holiness of Jesus exposes Peter's sinfulness, exposes his depravity. And it's the same with all of us. In the presence of God, we all would say, woe is me. A couple things to notice at this point in the story. The first is that Jesus does not rebuke Peter for doing this, he does not rebuke him for falling before him and calling him Lord. There are other places in Scripture where human beings will fall before a, a powerful angel in their presence as an act of worship. This happens, for instance, in Revelation 22 8. But there the, imme- the angel immediately rebukes John the Apostle for doing that. The angel says, you must not do that. For I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, worship God. You see, to fall down before someone in this way is a sign of worship. And that is what is going on here. And Jesus does not rebuke Peter for doing this. Peter has moved from respect To worship of Jesus and Jesus does not rebuke him. Peter is feeling uneasy for a perfectly legitimate reason. He knows that he does not deserve to be in the presence of a God like Jesus. But Jesus tells him and utters to him words of comfort and assurance. Jesus says, do not be afraid. Do not be Afraid. Peter knows that with his sin, he should not be around Jesus. And this is a parallel to our own lives. We live in a world where many people are eager to freely admit that Jesus is something like a teacher or an insightful rabbi, a wise man. Some people think that he is cool or hip But before Jesus, what will every honest person do? Before Jesus, every honest person will say what Peter says. Get away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, for I am a sinful woman. Apart from forgiveness, apart from mercy, apart from grace, this is our reality. All of us cannot stand to be in the divine majesty, the presence of God. But in Jesus, we are reminded that the God of Scripture is a God who is not eager to punish. He is not eager to exact judgment for sin. In the book of Ezekiel, we're reminded God says, I do not delight in the judgment of the, of the wicked, but rather that a sinful man turn from his wicked ways to me in repentance and live. My seminary professor put it this way We're dealing with a God who finds all of our lives out of keeping with the way he created us to be, yet he loves us nonetheless. Thus, Jesus shows to Peter the same mercy and grace and willingness to forgive that we find in God throughout the scriptures. We're reminded that in Jesus, we find the exact imprint of the nature of God the one who carries out the will of God and he is eager and willing to forgive just as we find throughout all of the scriptures. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide. He will not keep his anger forever. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father loves his children, so God the Father sets his love on those who revere him. We find a God... Who forgives. We find a God who is gracious. And we find in Jesus that He has the authority of God to forgive sin. Do not be afraid, He tells to Peter. This is the power of our Savior. And this is the comfort of the gospel. Peter did not deserve this blessing. Peter did not deserve Jesus to welcome him. But we see that Jesus continues to fulfill the prophecies of Isaiah 61. What is he doing? He's giving liberty to the captives. He is setting the prisoners free. Those who are imprisoned by their sin and their wickedness. He is setting them free and has the authority and the power to do so. Jesus also tells Peter what he will be doing from now on. You will catch men, he says. You will be catching men. A couple things to note from what Jesus tells Peter and James and John. The first is we see from the miracle of the catching of many fish that Jesus will use people to accomplish the work of his kingdom. But he will be the one who brings about the results. Human beings can labor and toil in service to their Lord, but unless Jesus gives the catch, nothing will happen. Peter worked all night and caught nothing, but at one word from Jesus, he casts his nets and he catches a multitude of fish. This fishing metaphor sometimes had Negative connotations. But the second thing we learn is that Jesus uses it in a positive way. There is a parallel in this passage between the crowds following Jesus, pressing in to hear him. People following him everywhere. And the multitude of fish that Peter and James and John catch. There is a parallel between these two things. And Jesus is proclaiming the word of God to them. He's proclaiming liberty to them. He is proclaiming freedom to them. And so this metaphor of fishing would often be negative because in a sense fishermen use deception to to catch their prey and then they use them for food or for profit. But because it's paralleled with what Jesus does we see that it's not about deception and death but about redemption and life. And this redemption and life will be brought about by speaking the word God. ...of God, just like Jesus does. And that is what the apostles will be commissioned to do. Later on in the book of Acts, the apostle Peter will stand up... in ...the day of Pentecost, and he will speak the word of God. He will speak the gospel, and there will be another great catch... ...where 3,000 people trust and profess Christ to be Lord on that day. So Christ involves people in his work, but he brings about the results... And this work is not about deception or death, but it is about freedom from death. It is about redemption and life, salvation. Thus we see at the end of this passage the call of discipleship and the mission of witness. And we see that in verse 11. Peter, James, and John respond in a way that teaches us about the meaning of discipleship and how God involves people in his kingdom's work. ...and in this world. In verse 11 we read... ...they left everything and followed him. We're not to take this absolutely literally... ...in every single sense. We know that Peter did not leave his wife... ...they did not leave absolutely everything that they had... ...and abandon everything and every relationship... ...and every person that was dear to them. But in the flow of the story... ...it does tell us something quite shocking... Here are poor fishermen who have just had a fruitless night's work, and now their boats are filled with fish, something that could be a huge jumpstart to get their business going again. This could be a month's worth of work in one fell swoop. But in the flow of the story, what we see is that what they leave behind specifically are the fish in their boats. They leave behind this enormous catch of fish. Why? For one, because Jesus called them to. But also because they see in the moment, as Jesus sees, as Peter sees this Jesus not only as master, but now as Lord, they see in the moment the value of Christ in comparison to the world. The value of Christ in comparison to the world to the world because Christ is more important than all the things of this world and because following him means making him the most centrally important part of your life. That is the call of discipleship. Compared to Jesus, the value of worldly things fades away. Thus, these three disciples show the supremacy of Christ and they witness to his lordship by abandoning this this enormous blessing that they've just received. All of these fish, they leave in order to follow Jesus. This is what it means to be a disciple. To be willing to give up all for him and to be one who says that there is nothing more important than Christ. But not everyone is called to do that, just like Peter, James, and John. In fact, no one today fills the apostolic office. No one today is an apostle like these three men were. There are many people who give up a large measure of enjoyment in this world for the cause of the gospel, but not everyone does. Thus, the more universal question for us to consider this morning as we consider this passage is how we learn from this passage not only how to be a disciple, but how to be a witness for Christ and how the church is a witness for Christ. And the answer is something like this. Though not all of us will at some specific time bring our boats onto shore and leave it sitting there full of blessing, though not everyone will do something like that, we all must adopt a certain attitude, towards the good things in this world that God gives to us. And it can be summarized this way in the words of a, of a wonderful pastor. His name is Kevin DeYoung. He says this, Christians are people who receive God's gifts and enjoy them the most, need them the least, and give them away most freely. Christians enjoy God's gifts the most because we recognize it as being from the creator and the giver of all good things. It allows us to enjoy them in a way that no one else can. We need these things the least because we have been liberated from sin and given eternal life and an inheritance that's laid up for us in heaven. We need the things of the world the least. And we give them away most freely because this world is not where our treasure is. Christians adopt this attitude toward the things of this world. We receive God's gifts and enjoy them the most. We need them the least, and we give them away the most freely. It is in in these things, the call of discipleship, the mission of witness in the world, that we are called, that we are challenged to take up the mission of the gospel, to have this attitude towards the things that God gives us. This is a key way in which the church upholds her witness in the world. We adopt this posture towards the gifts that God gives to us. And we show through our actions that God has changed our hearts to love him, In Christ above all things. It's not whether or not you leave all things behind. It's whether or not you are willing to leave all things for the sake of Jesus. Because the liberty that he gives is better than anything that the world offers And it is this passing relationship to the things of this world that Christians are to adopt that forms our witness in the midst of a world that is obsessed with possessions, with power, with money, with politics, with acceptance, and with inclusion. It is this posture towards the things of this world that forms a witness in a world that has a different posture to all the things of this world. We have been accepted, we have been included, adopted by God. We don't need acceptance and inclusion of the world. We have been given the treasures of eternal life by the eternal God. We do not need the treasures of this world. Because of Christ, there is nothing else that we need. We are called then to live like we believe that is true. Christians are those who receive God's good gifts and enjoy them the most, need them the least, give them away most freely. This is what forms our witness because in Christ we have been given all that we need. He is a gracious God and a savior who says to us when we realize our sin in his midst, he says to us, do not be afraid because he is a God who forgives our sins. Amen. Let's pray. What a wonderful, matchless Savior you have given to us, Father. As we meditate on Him and His work today and into this week, prepare our hearts to gather around the table next Sunday. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the blessings of eternal life laid up for us in heaven. Let us be those who receive your gifts. Because we know they are from you, we enjoy them the most. Because of what you have done, we need them the least. And because of how you assure us in this world, we can give them away most freely. Help us to be bold witnesses for Christ in this world who live according to how you have commanded us to live, knowing that your commandments are not burdensome because of what our Savior has done for us. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. We respond together.